Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to another edition of FEPS Talks. I'm Justin Hoogrede, your host for this episode, the Digital Policy Advisor at FEPS. We'll discuss competition and the digital economy. Competition is often seen as something positive, about enabling innovation, lower prices for consumers, expanding choice. Is that really the case? I will explore these topics with Michelle Meager. She's the Senior Policy Fellow at the University of College London, co-founder of the Inclusive Competition Forum, and author of Competition is Killing Us. Uh, welcome, Michelle. And I probably butchered your last name. Um, how do I pronounce that correctly? Uh, so it's pronounced Michelle Ma, but I, I take all Ma. reasonable, well-intentioned attempts um, will be accepted. I'm sure you have many pronunciations of your name as well. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, fair enough. That's true. Um, Michelle, could you explain us a little bit about your background and why you're interested uh, in competition? <laughs> So um, my background is as a competition lawyer. Um, I worked in the city of London. I had clients who were kind of big corporates and I was working mostly in mergers then um, helping um, companies get their mergers approved by the authorities. I've also worked for the regulators in the UK and in the US, um, mostly on cartel work. So I've really seen it from both sides. And in fact, I also worked at the World Bank briefly looking at global competition policy. So um, I would say in that kind of stage of my career, I was a real believer in um, in this project, which was kind of regulating competition, maximizing the competitiveness of markets so that we could get all of those benefits that you kind of mentioned in, in the introduction, that we believe that you get efficiency, that you get innovation, and that really it's only by having the most competition that you can get the most of everything else, whether it's justice, sustainability, wealth, um, all of those things are supposed to follow from this perfectly competitive um, market. But in, in recent years, um, I had a little bit of a kind of change of heart over these things because I started to kind of really question, you know, where is this elusive, um, you know, wealth um, and prosperity that's supposed to come from competition? We have over the last um, decades, an absolute explosion of um, competition regulation around the world. You've got kind of 120, 130 jurisdictions now trying to enforce competition law. And yet all of the indicators seem to say that markets are getting more um, concentrated. So how could it be that we were getting it so wrong? Um, And that really caused me to start to question what is the role of competition in the economy? And why is it that within this supposedly competitive um, capitalist system, it seems to nevertheless um, concentrate wealth and power into a few hands, but be extremely efficient at spreading the harms of of activity so widely. So that was really what prompted me to start researching my book, um, Competition is Killing Us. And I'm sure we'll get into it. It's Mm -hmm. a a controversial topic in a way to say competition is bad, but I think it's, we really need to start from a kind of honest understanding of the benefits and the harms of competition if if we're going to be able to actually harness the benefits of capitalism. Uh, That's super interesting. So you've seen the competition world from both sides regulation and from the, the law firm perspective let's say indeed just the phrase competition is killing us feels very counterintuitive even from a social democratic perspective i mean the social democratic perspective of course you would say you know, we have privatized too much so the sphere of competition has grown in itself competition uh, would still be seen as a good thing especially if you look now at the policy discussions in brussels about regulating big tech you know, competition is front and center in that debate i was wondering could you explain a little bit what you mean with competition is killing us why do we see the paradigm of competition as you explained really prominent 
the past decades and at the same time concentration and market also growing how how do you explain that i mean it's certainly the you know the title and this core premise of my book the problematization of competition that has been the kind of uh, point on which i get the most pushback i think actually people are quite united on a lot of the solutions um but in terms of this description of the problem i think it's really important because i think that whatever um solutions we go forward we need to have like a very clear understanding of the ideological framework of of this problem of competition um So my book is very much within um you know a progressive agenda but most progressives as you say are calling for more competition to challenge unaccountable monopolies you know how can we um make those markets more competitive but I think there's a little bit of a paradox there because on the one hand we have the case that we have too little competition tech monopolies as an example but on the other hand we have too much competition and you could say that um you know some of the ways that business operates is an is an example of that so the ex- externalities the costs that business push out onto society and tech is also a good example of that too we have you know online dissemination of false information of um online hate um we've got the kind of threat to democracy um coming spilling out over from the um tech platforms these are costs that are not um priced into the product i mean the product is you know the priced product is uh, online advertising and that itself is a kind of you could say is a form of solution. So I think that there are um there's a tension there between this idea of too little and too much competition. And what I argue in my book is really that we've been looking at this through entirely the wrong framework, through entirely the wrong lens. Through this obsession with competition, we've completely ignored the most important factor which really shapes all of this, which is power. So it seems odd to think that a single market a one market could be at the same time too com- too much competition and too little but actually if you look at it from another perspective it's easy to understand that you could have a, in the same market some actors that have too much power and therefore are able to exploit others and then some other people in that or economic actors in that market that have too little power and are not able to protect themselves so i think that that's really what we're seeing here this dynamic of imbalance of power and so what i i really advocate for in my book is for paradigm shift in how we look at competition you know we're really still operating um under this what came to be very respectable way of looking at things this kind of chicago school understanding very sophisticated at the time you know it was kind of understood to be cutting edge in terms of um an economic understanding of markets that said that so, sorry could, could you explain for our listeners what you mean of the chicago school understanding yeah. of antitrust Yeah so um the Chicago school came out of um the Chicago School of Economics and and law um in the US in the 1950s 1960s and um some people might know it as the kind of neoliberal paradigm it's the idea um that it was really the idea that that sits behind a lot of what happened in the 90s to do with trade liberalization free trade privatization um this was all driven by this understanding of how markets work and this fundamental premise and which is critical to understanding antitrust policy over the last few decades is this idea that markets self correct so that although you do sometimes want a regulator to step in more or less the regulator should be hands off because even if you have a monopoly that comes um into the market that monopoly will be immediately challenged by other rivals that will come into the market tempted by um the profits that that company is is charging and then will compete those profits it's away so so that monopolist will never be able to actually charge a monopoly price they'll never actually be able to restrict output and so the vision
vision of this and why it was so compelling is that because it means that you can have your cake and eat it. You can have this monopolist, which actually grows to a large scale. You get all the efficiencies that come with that, but they'll never be able to exploit that power because the market will always keep them honest. And that was really the, you know, if you look at all, all of merger policy and all of the kind of very hands-off approach towards monopolies over the last um, two, three decades, it's really driven by this idea that, you know, companies come to the authorities and say, we want to merge. And they say, you know, this will generate all sorts of efficiencies. Um, we're going to cut all these costs and we will pass on the benefits to consumers. Um, by the way, we never actually go back to check whether that's true because we're so um, beholden to this idea that mergers are efficient, that with scale comes all these benefits and we never look at the harms and the harm, harms come in the form of power. Whenever you have a concentration of economic resources, whether it sits in the state or whether it sits in the private sector, you will always get power. So you need to have something to regulate that. When it sits with the state, we have something called democracy, which is supposed to regulate the power of the state when it has control over the economy. We don't have a similar control um, over the private sector, or the control should be the competition and antitrust regime, but it's not really working that way. Is it not the original idea of antitrust to exactly constrain that power? Absolutely. I mean, that was the kind of origins of modern antitrust in the US. Um, the Sherman Act in the 1890 was passed because of this idea of the robber barons that were um, you know, concentrated wealth and you have to understand that yeah. at the time that was a really new phenomenon because this was the beginning of you know railways spreading across the American continent um, you had the first time of a, actually having a national market um, across the US and suddenly the scale at which um, companies could operate was so much larger than anything had ever seen that it dwarfed even the power of the federal government you know it was a real challenge to um, democratic control over over the economy and so that was the motivation for passing that that kind of original and um, seminal antitrust law on which you know the European laws are um, if not based at least kind of influenced by and what we've lost through this kind of idea of self-correcting markets which really you know takes that idea of company that grows big in the economy uh, could outshine it and says, you know, you don't have to worry about that, actually. And not only do you not have to worry, but actually regulatory intervention is worse that actually um, regulators are too quick to act. If they intervene, then we won't get all of the benefits, the efficiencies, the low prices. Governments will no doubt go after the most efficient companies and therefore um, they will you know, squash innovation in the economy. Mm. This is a very familiar narrative and I think it's just important to make it explicit so that we understand that that is really what has been driving um, our approach. And you can see it in the very hands-off approach towards um, mergers and, and monopolies in the last few decades. Could you give some examples? Because, for instance, um, at the European level, the perception is the person in charge of competition at the European Commission, uh, Madame Vestager, for instance, that she's actually very active on this. Uh, there have been a lot of high-profile cases against Google. It's just a case been opened uh, against Amazon for anti-competitive practices. Oh, when I speak to people here in Brussels, the impression that, that they have is that actually we take a lot of action against those big firms. And on the other hand, also that they are indeed quite efficient, quite effective, that they have delivered a lot of innovation, a lot of new products. And so that actually things are going in, in, in the right direction, even though, of course, these companies have a lot of power. Just to be clear, this is not my understanding. I'm just uh, pushing you a bit. How would you respond to that? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a valid, um, it's valid criticism explains a little bit of, of kind of why we're in the situation we're in. Look, I mean, Vestaya's actions have certainly been, she's been more active than relatively, let's say, relative to, um, you know, pretty much everybody else who, who, and particularly in the US where they've done very little until 
literally in the last few weeks when they st- they've just opened a case against Google. In, in the past, they settled a case against Facebook. And, you know, there's been all of these inaction. Um, so yes, it's true that there has been some action in use. But I would ask, you know, what has changed? Nothing has structurally changed. And they have effectively paid enormous fines that really have you know, the markets have not blinked and their share prices tend to go up after these fines because they think, okay, well, that's it. We've closed one investigation. Um, we probably won't get another one for a few years. And I think it comes back to this idea of, you know, why do I say that competition is killing us? Because as you say, you know, competition, it should be giving us this all this efficiency and innovation. And I would argue that that is one ideal scenario. The ideal scenario is that companies go out there, they compete with each other. Um, when one comes up with a good product, the other one has to come up with a better product. They have to you know, do it at a lower price and they will only give us things that we want. The problem is that there are actually other ways that um, businesses can maximize their profits. And we know this really because it's all over all of the um, financial press, but somehow we haven't joined it up with our understanding of um, of competition. Because we know that another way that companies can maximize profits is really by two other very profitable routes. One is by monopolizing. So what do they do? They can um, corner a market and then no, people have nowhere else to go. Um, you might say of Google and Facebook that they, you know, they have plenty of competition. They compete with each other. Um, but actually, they've done absolutely everything they can. And as we would expect, nothing less of them, I suppose. Um, they have made sure that products are not interoperable. They have put up walled gardens. They squash all of their any potential rival. They will copy or clone their um, you know, rival products. So you can imagine that there are probably lots of innovations out there that are not happening because nobody can invest in them because before Google or Facebook, um, you know, before they even have a chance to, to flourish, Google or Facebook will um, will squash them. It's not particularly against Google or Facebook. We're talking about much larger ideas here. The other way that companies can maximize their profits is by pushing costs on to society. So I mentioned this before. And so if you think about all of that innovation that we think we see, Again, there's the whole kind of desert of innovation that we haven't seen because there's no investment there because, you know, why would you invest to try and compete in Facebook? Like if I went to an investor today and said, I'm going to make the next Facebook, you know, everyone talks about how Facebook squashed MySpace as the example of actually there is innovation in this sector. That was over a decade ago. And like, you tell me if a venture capitalist would ever invest in my incredible product if I said that I was going up against Facebook. They wouldn't unless we actually start to take, um, seriously, I'm sure we'll talk about this, um, some of the potential solutions and the EU is considering some of them. But you know, if the data was thrown open or if there were measures taken to allow users to switch easily between different platforms, right. then you might have a burst of innovation. But I mean, we're really within the innovation bubble of the monopolists because they get to determine exactly the direction of innovation. So then in one way, what you're saying, if I understand it correctly, is that there's not enough competition because right now, if you look at what's actually happening, when you look at those big tech firms, I mean, they operate as monopolies and also within those companies, you know, what happens within Amazon, of course, is not at all based on competition. It's based on central price setting almost via algorithm. Nobody really knows how this works, but so it's, it's not at all a market. So you're saying that there would be more innovation if somehow there would be more competition. So like we just need to break down the monopoly power. Is that what you're saying? I suppose where I would hone in on in this word of like just like is this just all we have to do? Yes, we need um, we need more competition. But competition is one solution to the monopoly problem. So that's why we need to keep really focused on the the problem is not 
just lack of competition. It is the creation of these centers of power. So competition can resolve that. And that is certainly one tool. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are other ways, like you actually might have less competition, for example, on the user side. You might say users should be able to collectively um, get together and collectively bargain with the platforms. That's less competition on one side of the market, but Mm -hmm. you're doing it in order to countervail the power of the monopolist. I mean, this is a really familiar concept from um, the idea of trade unions. That is exactly why we allow unions to operate so that they can actually, if if you're going to have a big center of power, a big, big, powerful employer, And if you don't want to break it down because you think there are benefits there, then the solution would be to raise up the power of those that that it's currently potentially exploiting. So we see this in the gig economy. There are calls for allowing um, gig economy workers to to effectively unionize so that they can collectively bargain with Uber or other, other such platforms. And currently competition law would treat that kind of union as an illegal cartel because those Uber and other companies have really successfully argued in the courts that these workers are not actually their employees. Um, In fact, they're not even kind of workers in the common sense. They're independent businesses. And since they're independent businesses, if they got together to collectively bargain, they would be an illegal cartel. So this is what I mean about competition is one solution. It's not a blanket solution. We don't just want more competition no matter what. That is partly what's gotten us into this problem. And I suppose it's. I also have this idea that since it is this narrative of competition, since we seem to be so confused about what competition is, you know, we've so single-mindedly focused on competition for the last three decades and ended up in monopoly. Um, perhaps this concept of competition is not the one that's going to get us out, that, that maybe we might end up repeating exactly the same mistakes again. So this is why I argue that we should really focus on power, understand where power is, where it's being exercised, who's being exploited, um, so that we can look at regulatory solutions, you know, competition and market solutions. And really, I think that there's also a huge role for civil society here. It's not just about, you know, a pure market solution. We have have to understand where can we make sure that we're getting all of the information about the harms of the market. Actually, civil society, that plays exactly that role, but mm. currently has, for example, very little input into competition um, matters. When you have like huge mergers, um, even when you get quite a strong civil yeah. society response, like in the Bear Monsanto merger, mostly the you know commission says, okay, this is all very interesting, but it's nothing to do with competition. How could it not be relevant to the creation of a mega agribusiness, the future of you know biodiversity, the leverage that that company will then have over farmers? I mean, it feels yeah. precisely the question or the point at which we must ask that. That's the regulatory moment um, to ask those questions. Okay, so for you, it's more about we should refocus on the concept, I think what you, what you call balance of power. So the great kind of like a distribution of power, competition law can help. Uh, and should probably then, you know, we should enforce, we should maybe look at different kind of conception, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. To kind of link up with that, I wonder how you look at things that the commission is planning to do to kind of regulate and create that balance of power, or we hope to, that they will create that balance of power in the digital economy. I mean, when we talk about the digital economy, of course, unprecedented uh, concentration of power, I would say. There's a lot of obvious things that I think where we see that incentives are skewed, right? Amazon owning the marketplace, 
also selling its own product on that market space, uh, you know, able to access all the data from other traders that are operating on that marketplace. I think you see those dynamics everywhere, right? If you look at Google and the online ads business, for instance, if you look at Apple and the App Store, what do you think would be fruitful in terms of solutions? I know that there's a lot of different things uh, being floated around. Uh, I know that Warren uh, last year in the US, she talked about, you know, simply breaking up those companies. I think that in, in, the, in the EU, they look at uh, specific types of rules for certain gatekeepers. So they want to look at big firms and say, okay, you know, you have special responsibility because essentially you operate like an infrastructure. So this is more about regulating sectors like we've done in other sectors, you know, in terms of insurance, healthcare, telecoms, etc. What do you see here as the way to go? I know this is a very broad question. So and also, are you optimistic? Like, can we actually change something here? Because it is, is so broad, I'm going to focus in on a, a concrete point here, which is um, we already know, for example, a lot more about what the UK is doing. So they've announced last week their regime, which is mirrors the um, the EU proposals or the kind of um, what we think the EU package will be. And so it's quite kind of interesting to see what the UK has done to um, anticipate what the EU should do or hopefully will do. Um, so the EU is looking at exactly kind of gatekeeper, potential blacklist of um, things that gatekeepers can't do. Um, you know, there are clear issues, of course, in treating the gatekeepers as some kind of singular um, entity. They all have very different business models, but no doubt, like in the detail, um, the, the commission will be looking at um, targeting specific practices by specific firms. In the UK, this is under the idea of um, identifying strategic markets status companies. This was the um, a proposal that came out of the Furman Review um, of last year. And the Furman Review also suggested um, a few other things, including um, changes to merger control. Um, and also to, um, they suggested that the CMA does an a market study in online advertising, which the CMA did. And one of the interesting things is that um, coming out of that CMA study, just if you look just at online advertising, they were looking at Facebook and Google's duopoly over, over that market. Now, as you said, Elizabeth Warren last year proposed the breaking up of, of companies. That was hugely controversial at the time. Well, the CMA, in quite kind of reasoned language, proposed the separation, um, if needed, of Google and Facebook's advertising operations from their other operations. So if you think about how far the policy window has shifted and what was at one point completely outrageous um, is now, you know, being... A, proposed by kind of respected competition authority. But now we have come to the announcement of the digital markets unit um, from last week. This was another of the proposals coming out of Furman. Um, it kind of goes halfway. So they say we will um, identify strategic market status companies and we'll have a code of competitive conduct, which will set maybe not quite blacklist, but it will have some rules as to how those companies should treat their users and their rivals fairly. So we will get some clarity maybe as to what will be fair competition um, within those markets. Unfortunately, what they don't do is, well, they don't look at the merger control issues and those are being dealt with separately. And they also don't look at, they say, in relation to interoperability um, and in relation to uh, separation, that more work needs to be done to understand those complex um, interventions. Now, clearly, they are complex interventions. They will be heavily resisted um, by the platforms. But what we have to understand is that if you don't 
um, deal with the power of these companies at a fundamental level. If you don't take the measures like um, unwinding mergers or separating, you know, saying Amazon can't um, sell on its own platform or same yeah. for Google and Facebook. If you don't do that, then you're really setting this regulator up for an impossible task. They are having to regulate this company that is effectively growing and growing and growing. So by every day becomes ever more um, kind of out of the regulator's reach. So the idea that this code of conduct alone would be enough completely misguided um, because th- that's a, you know that's the reason why the, the firm and review put together this whole package you no. you can't just pick and choose from from this um, it's not like a regulatory menu you need all of it because if you don't um, fundamentally deal with the ever-growing power then everything else you do kind of won't won't work so when, if we come back to the EU they they are looking at you know they've put together the digital uh, services act the digital markets act um, this idea of the new competition tool is is being rolled into that. So this is the idea that the commission can bring market investigations. Um, They don't have to prove an infringement of competition laws in order to impose remedies. So they are, if they do do that, then they are yeah. leaving themselves that power to say, okay, here's on one hand, here's this blacklist, here's these things that you can't do. And also we can go in and look at the whole market and um, you know, figure out who's doing what and where the points of, um, of friction are, and then we can come in and we can remedy them. If that's what we get, then that could be quite powerful. Um, but again, it's, it's this point that we need to have the full package. Um, it can't just be parts of it because they're all kind of interlinked. That's a really good point. And I think that's also a good point to close. I think that what what, uh, is often missed is the fact these companies are so big. I mean, the information asymmetry, just the fact they operate in so many different markets. I mean, I think that the European Commission at this point, you know, they're looking at Google's ad business. They're looking at uh, still Google's shopping cases that have been going on for a decade. You know, how they favor their own search engine and the anti-competitive practices there. They can throw huge amounts of resources into this. So I have the feeling that if we just... The proposals will just go into a certain tweaks or like certain lists or code of conducts. I think that will definitely not be enough. I think we should really also specifically look at enforcement and really give the commission perhaps and need some flexible tool. Uh, also, not just in a specific area, but also to have a more global view that they can say you, you have infringed this specific provision. They can also say, okay, you know, this market is going in the wrong direction. Maybe we should flexibly intervene to prevent a merger from happening or to prevent, uh, you know, or to mandate data sharing, data access, uh, those kind of things. I think that will be quite revolutionary, to be honest. So I think that the new competition tool you speak of would be really uh, positively surprised if that uh, makes the cut in the end. Uh, but I think it's at least it's not a boring time. I think a lot is happening. And as you said, I think the debate is really shifting as well a lot. I also saw that now in the, in the US, uh, they really started uh, with this review uh, of big tech and they may, may launch uh, some very significant cases. Um, I saw that even Apple now, they decided to launch their own search engine. So I think that's also uh, interesting to see. Well, I think that's an important point, yeah. actually, where you, where you mentioned, yeah. um, you know, Apple's launching a search engine. That's because, in partly because, um, you know, authorities are looking into the deal that Google and Apple have, um, which means that, um, you know, Google pays Apple billions of, um, of dollars a year to ensure that the Google search engine is on all Apple devices as the default search engine. And immediately when that deal, which is taken just as a kind of, you know, that is an inevitability about the world, as soon as the regulators start questioning it, suddenly it turns out that maybe Apple could develop its own search engine. Um, And so I suppose this is what we have to understand about innovation um, and not be 
too concerned that um, intervening in markets will somehow ruin innovation because actually what we will get is different innovations um, and we will get it maybe from different corners of the market. We will maybe get it from different players. I mean, I don't think an Apple search engine will be any um, you know, better for your privacy or whatever than a, than a Google one. Um, they certainly have many of the same incentives. But the point is that what was previously um, you know, sold to us as this is just how the world is, no, yeah. there are alternatives, and we need to really um, challenge this kind of narrative of in- inevitability that this is how the world works, this is how the internet works, and you've just got to take it. If you don't like this modern world, then you can you know, choose to continue like reading physical books and <laughs> looking stuff up in the index. No, um, there are other ways that the, the technology yeah. can be structured, and I think that's a really important point to hold on to, that um, we shouldn't assume that um, the way that those that these particular companies have structured the world is the only way it can be. Yeah, I think that's a great point uh, also to close on. I think that people really, our imagination is in a way limited, right? Because we now, we're so used to having an entire infrastructure that's been created to optimize optimize uh, for the selling of ads, of selling of online ads. Uh, so it's very difficult to imagine how an alternative could look like, actually. I think that's 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 a nice thought to close on. Just a final point. What's a, what are the two, three things that you think should really happen in online competition, like that the commission could put forward that would really have the biggest impact? I think the, the thing that would have the biggest impact for changing our whole the whole way we look at um, competition issues is really by making sure that different parties are consulted whenever there's a regulatory action. I think that op- breaking open this kind of very technocratic exercise of regulation um, and really being very explicit and honest, this is competition policy is effectively industrial policy. It is highly political. Um, it's just that all of the um, the politics is currently baked in. You know, we have the, it's all baked into the assumptions around size and efficiency and so on. We should be really clear, like we cannot, you know, we cannot salvage the rights of workers through other regulation if we are also empowering um, the companies that will exploit those workers by allowing them to merge. So we need to really have those interests right there at the beginning of the discussion. Um, and so I, I honestly think that the most powerful thing would be to kind of break open this like control of the of competition regulation by um, by technocratic elite. And and to be honest, I think that regulators would be would welcome a lot of this. I think you know. Uh, people would, although for sure it would make things um, less neat and tidy and comp- uh, you know, more complicated. You can't just plug some economic model into the um, into a machine and get an answer: is it good or bad? But the commission has been steadily trying to push some of these issues and and really fold them into um, this analysis, like shoehorn um, issues of privacy into um, you know the existing framework. Whereas let's allow for a broader framework and understand that regulators, I mean, particularly the commission, which is under not just um, the obligation to meet the competition, um, uh, to to meet the competition framework, but that competition framework is embedded within broader concepts in the EU treaties. And their obligation is to meet those too. And currently that's not been happening. So I think that, yeah, having having different people um, involved in that decision-making process would be great. Uh, Michelle, it was a pleasure to have you uh, on Fab Stocks. Well, the book is out. Uh, Competition is killing us. I guess it's available via Amazon. I hope also via other channels. From your independent bookshop. (laughs) The independent bookshop. All right, there you go. Thanks a lot. And um, till next time. Thank you for your attention. 
If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. 